this weekend, I was able to go see my son, Matthias, who lives in Denver, Colorado. He's studying to be a, a professional counselor. He's already had lots of experience living in my house. And uh, Laura and I were able to go see him. Can you tell he's my son? Look at those eyes. Holy smokes. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I, we can't keep it up there too long or else my wife will start to cry. But uh, as we were flying in to see him, we uh, went into the Denver airport. That's how you get to Denver. You fly into the Denver airport. And did you know that the Denver airport was really just an excuse to build a bunker for the New World Order? Did you not know that? Because it was supposed to only cost a billion dollars, and it cost four billion dollars. And they've talked to some of the construction guys that work there, and they said there's underground tunnels. And when you go there, there's these murals on the wall. And there's a series of them, and one of them is this. You get this kind of German-looking guy killing the dove of peace, and then there's another mural with children and uh, extinct animals. And then in the end, uh, you see another mural, and it's all the children of the world, and they're bringing all of the weapons of the world together and turning them into plowshares. And you can see death kind of underneath. The guy who was killing everybody and hating everybody is now himself destroyed. And this is a picture of what these secret people in the government, they're in this organization called the New World Order, and they're in these places of authority, and they're controlling everything. And, and so they built the Denver airport so that they would have a place to go underground when World War III starts, which is what they're actually going to start. At least that's the theory. That's the conspiracy theory. And, you know, you might read some of the things and look it up online and begin to wonder, why are the runways almost, if you look at it right, in the shape of a swastika? Hmm. No other airport has that, you know. And you can take a look at some of this information and begin to become suspicious. Suspicious. Suspicious means that I'm not exactly sure but I'm assuming something evil is going on. That's what suspicious means. I suspect that there's some hidden motive that someone's trying to hide. If they're trying to hide it, I don't know why they're giving clues everywhere, like putting the runways in the shape of a swastika. If, I mean, if you want to believe that, why are you leaving clues everywhere? I don't quite understand that. But anyway, according to the conspiracy theory, if you're a very suspicious person, you might even begin to believe that. And today I want to talk about suspicion. I want to talk about suspicion, not necessarily conspiracy theories, but even within our own relationships, how we tend to assume that other people have wicked motives, even though we have no idea what their motives are, and how that suspicion can destroy unity and wreak havoc in homes and in workplaces, and in churches, and in communities. So let's go take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to see where David is, uh, ha experiences suspicion against him and all of the trouble that it causes in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And before we look at that, let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we don't know everything. And when we don't know everything, many times we're left making guesses, and we don't always make the right guesses. 
And uh, we can cause trouble in relationships uh, and in places. And instead of being people that build relationships, we end up undermining them. Uh, and, and so we want to turn to you this morning. And we open up our hearts and our minds to your word. And we ask that your spirit, that you would send him to, to instruct us from your word. Not just our minds, but our hearts. Instruct our hearts to turn to you, to turn to others with joy and love and expectation so that we can be the people you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I need to let you know it's in the inside back cover as well of your bulletin that this message was inspired by a message that Andy Stanley gave called Trust Versus Suspicion. He has given this message in multiple places at multiple times, and you can go online and uh, just do a search for Andy Stanley, Trust Versus Suspicion. And uh, that is, I'm not actually giving that message today, but that his message has greatly fed into what we're hearing today. And so if you're interested in this subject uh, afterwards, then I would encourage you to go look at that and see what Mr. Stanley has to say about it. But for now, there was a time in David's life, there was a time in David's life when the suspicion of others caused massive destruction, massive destruction and pain. So let's take a look at that. 2 Samuel chapter 10, first four verses. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. Now, we don't know exactly what happened between David and the former king of the Ammonites. Uh, it doesn't explain what happened in the past because First and Second Samuel, um, they're, they're not a complete history. It's a partial history. So we don't know everything. But somehow, we suspect that maybe when David was on the run and Saul was trying to kill him, that maybe this king of Ammon, which is a territory just across the Jordan, very close to Israel, that maybe this king had helped him out in this idea of dealing loyally with him. If you remember uh, last chapter with Mephibosheth, and David said, I want to deal kindly with the sons of Saul, this is the same phrase. So he must have made maybe some kind of a covenant with the king of Ammon in order for him to stay safe while he was on the run. And now he sees that that king has passed away. And he wants to maintain good relations between Israel and this neighboring group across the Jordan, the Ammonites. And so he sends some goodwill envoys across the Jordan River to the palace of the king of Ammon. And he says, hey, condolences on your dad's passing. Seems like a wise thing to do. Seems like a good thing to do. Good uh, in the eyes of the Lord, good in the eyes of uh, politics. This is a good idea. How does it take him? Verse 3. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their Lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? We suspect his motives are evil. And so, 
Hanun, verse 4, took David's servants, and he shaved off half the beard of each, and he cut off their garments in the middle at their hips, and he sent them away. He disgraced and embarrassed them. For the sake of our discussion today, suspicion is defined as filling in the gaps with evil assumptions. <coughs> Excuse me. Suspicion means I'm filling in the gaps with evil assumptions. This is what I mean. As we go about our life, we tell ourselves stories, right? We try to explain what's going on in our lives and in the lives of the people that we are engaged with and in the world around us. We tell stories. So a guy cuts us off in traffic. And our mind immediately wants to create a motive. And the motive that we naturally turn to is he's a jerk. Okay? We don't know what his motive is, but we're telling a story. And I'm going to fill in the story. And in my story, he's a jerk. And he's offending innocent me. Right? Now, I don't fill in the story with, wow, he probably has a child in his car with a medical emergency and he's trying to get to the hospital. Okay, that's not my assumption. My assumption is he's a jerk. My assumption is not, oh, that must be a volunteer fireman. And he's on a call and he's got to hurry up and run to the station so he can get on this call. That's not my assumption. If someone's going to cut me off, I'm going to make an evil assumption about the motive of that person. That's suspicion. Suspicion is filling in the gaps with evil assumptions. It is a judgment of the motivation. We can only see actions, but we judge motivation. Now, we don't want people to do that to us, right? We don't want someone to say, okay, I walk down the hallway at church and I don't say hi to you, all right? So I don't want you to make the assumption that I dislike you or I know some secret sin about you and I'm afraid that you're going to defile me. Or Okay, I don't want you to make that assumption because the fact of the matter is I'm distracted and I didn't see you because if I had seen you, I would have said hi. Yeah, I am scared to death as a pastor that someday I'm going to be in the grocery store or something and I'm going to walk right by like the deacon chairman or something, you know, and not say anything. Maybe even like bump his cart, you know, and not even know it's him and keep going, you know. I could lose my job over that, you know. Or someone in the church says, wow, that pastor, he's so full of himself. Can't even say hi to me, right? We don't want anyone to just assume that our motivations are self-centered, right? We don't want anyone to assume that. But our natural inclination is to make that assumption ourselves about other people. So suspicion, hmm, is filling in the gaps with evil assumptions. And that's exactly what Hanun did here. I don't really know why David sent these envoys, I mean, he says it's because he's given condolences, but I don't know, and so I'm going to fill in that gap, assuming that he is evil. And this is why we hear people say, she did this because she hates me. This is why we hear people say, he's always out for himself. He's jealous. She's thoughtless. They're all wicked, right? These are all motivations. They're all judgments on people's motives 
of which we really don't have a clue. But we make these judgments all the time. We're like naturally suspicious. And suspicion, remember now, suspicion hurts. Suspicion hurts people's feelings. Suspicion hurts people's reputations. Suspicion hurts relationships. And so we need to decide, is this the way that we want to live? I remember having a conversation with a person. It was very explicit. She had said something about someone's motivation. I said, you don't know why he did that. I know why he did that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I forget I'm in the presence of a mind reader, you know. There was no discussing the idea that maybe you're making a judgment of something that you really don't know very much about. Romans 7 says, Paul says, I don't even know why I do things. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And I don't know why. If I don't even know why I do things, how are you going to know why I do things? Right? Wow. It's this filling in of the gaps with evil assumptions. So where does this come from? Where does this suspension, suspicion, where does this suspicion come from? Part of it comes from our own hearts. It comes from within. Our, our, we are suspicious because our hearts themselves are wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The prophet is saying, that I can't trust my own interpretation of the facts. I can't trust how I'm filling in the gaps. Because my heart is deceitfully wicked. It's wicked, but it will fool me into thinking that I'm not wicked. That everyone else is wicked, but I'm innocent. That's my natural default position. I'm innocent, and all of you are wrong. Whew! I, I love that scene in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, not the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the third one, whatever that one's called. And uh, the young Indiana Jones gets lost. Well, he doesn't get lost, but he gets left behind out in the desert. And as he comes out, he goes, why am I the only one who knows where he is? You know, like everyone else is lost, but I know where I am. That's what we're like. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. And so we don't even know. We have deceived ourselves into thinking that the stories we tell ourselves are true. And Jeremiah says, don't trust what your heart tells you. Don't trust these stories that you're making up. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. The Lord judges motivations. Not me. It's not my place to judge your motivation. That's the Lord's place. He searches my heart and he tests my heart. And then he gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Suspicion really is judgment. But God alone judges a person. And so suspicion arises from our own wicked hearts. Suspicion is also encouraged by the people around us. Suspicion is also encouraged by others. And this is what makes it so hard to resist, doesn't it? 
when we look at verse 3, it says, The princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, I think we need to doubt David's motives. He was surrounding himself with people who were suspicious. And it made him suspicious. It made him fill in the gaps. I'm going to ignore what David says. I'm going to ignore what David does. And I'm just going to assume that he has a wicked motivation. He was mistaken in that assumption and in that suspicion. If you choose, if you choose today that you will not be a suspicious person, that you will not participate in that water cooler conversation about how that person in the cubicle next to yours is so jealous and materialistic. You're just going to choose not to judge people's motivations. If you decide to be that kind of a person, you will stand alone. Even in church. Be ready to stand alone if you choose not to be a person who judges other people's motivations. Because it is the natural thing to do and we need the Lord to change us so that we don't. We will have to stand alone. I will not judge a person's motives. I will not talk about why a person chooses to do something. It's going to be hard. Suspicion hurts, though. So it's worth deciding not to do that. What would the environment at work be like if everyone stopped doing that? Do you think that that would help relationships build? Or do you think that it would hurt relationships? What would your family be like if you stopped judging the motivations of the people around you? Would that change the environment that you're in at all? I think it would. I think it would. We need to be that kind of people. Suspicion hurts. Suspicion also escalates. <clears throat> it escalates. Verse 5. When it was told David, remember the, these guys had been embarrassed. Half their, shape, half their beards were shaved off and the beard was kind of the, the pride of a man in the, in the Middle East at that time. So you shave off half the beard and then you cut their, their, their clothes off at the bottom so it's showing, you know. So he's embarrassed them and he's shamed them. And so David, when it was told David, verse 5, he sent to meet these men, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown. And for goodness sake, put on a pair of pants. And then return. And then return. Now, when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, you think? The Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians. And the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers. The king of Maacah, 1,000 men. Right, let's get some men from Tob, another 12,000. And so when David heard of it, you see this escalation. He sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. While the Syrians all came out into the open country. Okay. We've got a war going on. This thing has escalated beyond, gee, I don't trust David's motivations. Now it's a war. Have you ever experienced this in your relationships? Where a person wrongly accuses someone's motivations, and it just begins to snowball. 
people stop talking to each other or really they start talking about each other to others. And it all just becomes a bigger and bigger mess. That's what suspicion does. That's what happens when we fill in the gaps with evil assumptions. That's what happens. It escalates. And not only does it escalate, but it destroys. It destroys. Verse 13. So Joab, he's the good guy. He's Israel. And the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians. They were the bad guys. And the Syrians fled. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai. He was an Israeli leader and entered the city. Verse 15, but when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they remustered their troops. They gathered some guys from beyond the Euphrates, way up north. They came to Helam with Shobak, the commander of the army. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together. And he crossed the Jordan, he came to that place. And the Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought. And the Syrians fled, and David killed 700 men of the chariots and 40,000 horsemen. And he wounded the commander so that he died. This is so destructive. And it all started with a false assumption. Wow. I mean, if you were the wife or the child of one of those soldiers that died. And then you knew that the whole thing was the result because someone was wrongly suspicious. How frustrating that would be. And we've got, we've got this tendency to escalate. It starts as a personal relationship at work or at family or at the church or friendships. And it begins to escalate so that entire groups begin mistrusting each other. So that, why does research and development get all the money? And then all the, all the salespeople think that the tech people are blah, 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 whole groups of people. Labor versus management. Everybody knows management is a jerk. And all the managers know that everyone who labors is lazy, right? We just get these huge groups that assume wrongly about each other. Those Democrats, you can't trust a Republican, blah, 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 blah. It escalates outside of just normal relationships into these large things so you, that you have race problems whole the whole nation we have problems with government and any authority in our life and the thing is the farther you are away from the person you're judging the more gaps there are in your knowledge so the more space there is to fill up with our evil assumptions evil meaning we're accusing them of evil evil meaning it's evil for us to assume it's kind of a play on words there's more gaps to fill with evil assumptions the farther they are. So there's thousands and thousands of conspiracy theories about the government. Like, did you know those chemtrails, those, those white uh, little things that come behind airplanes, did you know that that's the government doing experiments with toxic chemicals to prepare for biological warfare? You didn't know that, but they took a survey and 17% of everyone in America thinks that's true. Because we don't know the government. We don't know the people in the government. So they must be wicked. Everyone in the government is just out for themselves. Every single one, right? We just make evil assumptions because we don't 
know. Wow. And this, this uh, escalation is confirmed, well, it's, it's built by something called confirmation bias. Have you ever heard of confirmation bias? Confirmation bias means that I am more ready to believe something if it confirms what I already believe. So I've already made a decision about your character. You may not know that, but I have. Every person in this room. I've made a decision about your character, okay? And so in the talk, I hear some things that confirm what I thought about your character. Yep. Always knew that she was a gossip. Mm-hmm. Now, eight other people come up, and they, something, they say something that disagrees with what I believe. They don't know what they're talking about. There's one person, see, I am biased towards, I put more weight on information that agrees with what I already believe. Confirmation bias. We do this with our theology. We do this in our relationships. Christians are so gullible about this. Anything that comes across the internet that says that the government is oppressing Christians must be true, and I need to forward it to all my friends. See, everyone in the government is trying to oppress Christianity. It's confirmation bias. We don't research it to see if it's true. We just forward it. It makes us look so stupid. It does. It does. Suspicion, filling in the gaps with evil assumptions, makes us look foolish. It's a shameful thing. We'll get to that in just a minute. This escalation can get ridiculous. I mean, this war is ridiculous, isn't it? People are dying. This is ridiculous. Did you know that there is this guy named Mike Hughes, and he is convinced that the world is flat. So he builds himself a rocket. Last March, he launched his homemade rocket into the sky with him aboard. It took place in the Mojave Desert, and he reached 1,800 feet. He was able to build this rocket out of scrap metal for about $20,000. So I have no idea why NASA needs like all these billions. 20,000 bucks, you can get a guy 1,800 feet in the air. Now, I'm not sure why he didn't just buy a ticket onto an airline and get even higher in look, but, you know, he's going to do this himself. So he sustained no long-term injuries. Now, did he prove that the earth is flat? No, that's going to come with larger rockets. This was just the first one. He's going to build longer, larger ones so that he can get into space and physically see that the earth is flat and prove it to everyone. That's ridiculous. It's, it's suspicion. In order to believe that, you have to believe that every, science in, every scientist in Nassau is a liar and is part of this conspiracy. Not a one of them is going to let anything leak out. And every government of every country is in on it. Every person knows that the earth is flat, but they're going to cover it up. They're going to tell you that it's round because I, I don't know why they would, but they are doing it. I don't know. Isn't that ridiculous? It's been proven to be round like in the 1500s, even before then. It gets escalated, and then it destroys. And that's not the funny part. The funny part is when it's, the fu it's not funny because in our personal relationships, this kind of suspicion destroys things, and that's not funny. We need to do something else. 
And God has given us an answer for this suspicion, this jumping to conclusions, these evil assumptions. He's given us an answer. I mean, I'm assuming that nobody enjoys the poisonous atmosphere that suspicion builds at work or at home. I mean, I'm assuming you wouldn't enjoy that. I'm assuming that there's something in us that says, man, when I do this, I don't feel very Christianly. I'm assuming that maybe if we've ever stepped back at a family gathering or at work and we've seen people talking at the coffee break room and we step back and we think, man, that just doesn't look like something Jesus would do. Doesn't sound right. What is God's answer to suspicion? How can I be fixed so that I don't continue this kind of thing? First, God tells us to fill in these gaps with knowledge. Remember now, suspicion is I don't know everything. I've got these gaps and I'm just going to fill them in myself. God has given us advice in the book of Proverbs. And he says that we need to fill these gaps with knowledge. Proverbs chapter 18 Verse 13, 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I've heard someone say blah, blah, blah about you. Now, am I going to start talking about that? Am I going to let that be part of the story that's running in my head? Am I going to believe that and let that become a part of what I think about you in the world before I've even really talked to you about it? That's folly. That's shameful. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We want to be wise, don't we? We want to be people of good reputation. I love when you sit in a room with people and some information comes in. And the leader of the group says... I don't think we should make a decision based on that. We haven't researched it enough. I don't know if that person is really doing that. I don't know if we can really say that about it. I think we need to stop and get more information. Don't you love it when someone who's leading a group of people knows how to just chill for a minute and say, do we really know everything we need to know before we make a decision? It is safe to deal with those kinds of leaders. Isn't it great to have a friend Whoa. Isn't it great to have a friend who, when they hear something bad about you, bad about you, doesn't believe it? Isn't that great? Don't you feel safe with that person? Or if the person hears something, they don't want to believe it, so they go to you first. And they say, I heard that you did this or this or that. And you just respect that person. That's not folly. That's not shameful. That's wisdom. That's a good reputation. A person who deals with gaps of information by listening, by learning, by getting as much knowledge as they can about the situation. It cuts suspicion way down when you just listen first. Proverbs 18, we were looking at verse 13. 18 verse 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Those runways that are shaped like a swastika are done that way so that no matter what way the wind is blowing, you can both take off and land. Those tunnels that were built under the Denver airport were made so that you can do that little transportation train to get from one wing to another. Laura and I rode that train. Yes, there's tunnels underneath the Denver airport. But it's not a bunker for the New World Order. It's so that I can get to my plane. 
See, when you hear the other side, why did it cost $4 billion? Nobody really knows where all that money went. Well, it cost $4 billion because they kept adding new things after the first plan was laid. And yes, some people do. You just don't know who the people are who know where the money was spent. You see, when you hear the other person, all of a sudden it starts sounding foolish to believe that there's an underground bunker and a new world order, right? You hear the first one, and it sounds suspicious. But Proverbs 18, 17 says, that will happen. You will hear one side, and you will believe it. But wait and listen to the other side. Go to the person who's being accused of doing wrong and listen to their side before you create a story in your head that damages someone. You would want them to do the same thing for you. We can stop suspicion if we just fill the gaps with knowledge. James 1, 19 and 20. James himself says, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen. I'm not quick to listen. I'm quick to judge motives. I, can, I, I, see, I feel it. I know it in my head. I am quick to make judgments about motives. I have to check myself every day. I have to be able to say, wait a minute, I just made a judgment about that person's motive, and I don't even know anything about them. I've got to be quick to listen, slow to create the story. Can we agree to do that? We will be slow to create the story, and we will be quick to listen. We will fill our gaps with knowledge, not with false assumptions. Second answer for suspicion. Not only do we fill in the gaps with knowledge, but we fill the remaining gaps, because we're never going to know everything about anybody. We're going to fill in the rest of the gaps with love. I'm going to get as much information as I can about the situation, and then what I don't know about the situation, I'm going to assume that you really are trying to walk with Jesus, and that you're a brother or a sister in Christ, and that will be my overriding assumption. Until you say with your mouth, oh, I hate Jesus. Okay, then I guess you do. But until then, I'm assuming I'm filling my gaps up with love. See, only the Holy Spirit can so change my nature that instead of assuming wickedness, I assume goodness on another person. Only the Holy Spirit living in us can do that. For, uh, this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about love, and it says that love is patient and kind, and it's not, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, which suspicion usually does, right? We're usually really glad to hear that that person has wicked motives, because compared to me, my motives aren't as wicked, right? So we kind of rejoice when we find out that someone is worse than us. But if you loved that person, you would not rejoice in wrongdoing, but you would rejoice in the truth. You will not build uh, a story about the wrongdoing, but you will rejoice in finding more knowledge in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. And then it says this in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all all things, endures all things. If I'm going to love you, then I will believe until you absolutely force me. Otherwise, I will believe that you are good. 
I will not judge my brother. The Bible tells me not to. I will not assign to you wicked motivations unless you flat out tell me, oh, I did that because I hate you. Okay, well then, at least I know your motivation now. But until then, I will assume that as a brother or a sister in Christ, as a person that I love, my love gift to you is I will not build a story about you until I've talked to you. That is my love gift to you. Can you give that love gift to everyone in your family? Can you give that gift of love to everyone at work and in your church? I will assume the best. I will believe all things and hope all things. That's what love does until you've absolutely proven me otherwise. I can solve the problem of suspicion with knowledge and with love. Now, some people are going to say, yeah, but you can't trust everybody. And you are absolutely right. I am not talking about blindly trusting everybody. I am talking about what kind of an attitude are we going to take when we don't know someone's motivation. I'm not saying that we're all Pollyanna and we trust everybody because we're all at church. So I'm not going to lock my car door and I'm going to leave my purse right there on the seat and it'll be okay. Okay, I'm not saying that we trust everybody. Because the Bible tells us not to. Did you know that? Bible says don't trust everybody. It says it in the book of Proverbs again. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Okay? I got to cross the river. And it's, it's kind of fast, but there's some rocks on the river. Right? I'm going to trust this rock to be dry. And, I, and, it, and it hold my weight. And, oh, that's great. Okay, I'm going to trust that rock to be dry and to hold my weight. And I step on it, and it's covered with that green moss that's really, like, yucky and slippery. Whoop, boom! I fall down, and I get all wet. I trusted in something that wasn't trustworthy. And, and the Bible says, don't trust the treacherous person. Don't trust the person who has proven themselves to be untrustworthy because that's like having a foot that slips. So somehow, somehow I've got to learn how to not be suspicious and at the same time be wise about who I trust. And I believe that we can not be suspicious and not trust who we shouldn't. I think we can do both. We're still in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 23 to 26. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. So the person does have evil motivations, but they're going to cover it up with this veneer. Oh, I did that because I care. Okay, they've got this veneer. It's fervent, but yet beneath there's evil intentions. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and he harbors deceit in his heart when he speaks graciously don't believe him there are seven abominations in his heart though his hatred be covered with deception his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly the father of lies the prince of the power of the air has infected everything and so there are wicked people out there and it's not safe to trust them but that doesn't have to change my attitude. It doesn't mean that I have to now be suspicious of everybody. Because suspicion, judging motives with a, when I have a lack of information, that is not a healthy Christian attitude to have. It destroys relationships. So I've got to find a way. Jesus, help me. Maybe he'll use the book of Proverbs. Maybe he'll use other things. Help me 
not to trust who I shouldn't trust, but help me not to be suspicious of everybody. I'm not going to fill my gaps up with evil assumptions. I'm going to look after, maybe after I go for the knowledge and I fill up the gaps, I find out that person does have evil intentions. He was trying to rob my house. Hmm. I thought he was just being neighborly. No, he's trying to rob my house. Okay, maybe the knowledge affirms that they're not trustworthy. But I'm not going to make that assumption until I have the knowledge. Maybe David really was trying to send out spies. But he wasn't. But he wasn't. So I will seek after knowledge. I will fill the, the gaps with love. But I'm not going to trust everybody. There are some people that are just wicked. I got to close with this. But Collier Landry is a young man who just made a documentary called A Murder in Mansfield. When he was six years old, I'm sorry, when he was eight years old, his father, Dr. John Boyd, uh, murdered his mother in their living room while he was in the house. All right? And in this, he, he was interviewed by the Richland Source. Uh, it's on YouTube. And uh, he's changed his name away from Boyd. There's just a whole, he, bo thank you, Boyle. Yeah, it was Dr. John Boyle. Thank you. And uh, um, he actually testified against his own father in the trial. And so he said this in the interview. I had maintained a relationship with my father over the years to try to establish a sort of normalcy. However, he always maintained his innocence. Our relationship had always been very surface. He's very manipulative. He's a sociopath. You know, there are some people you don't trust because it's not smart. And the Bible says to be careful about them. I feel for a, for a man who can never trust his father. That must be hard. I wonder if it makes you a very suspicious person of everybody if that happens. It doesn't have to. We have been wronged and betrayed by people, but we don't have to be a suspicious person. When I hear something, I will not judge motives. I will find knowledge, and I will fill up the rest of the gaps with love until I know otherwise. Let me close with just some reflective questions for you. Am I quick to judge? I mean, don't ask, I mean, I, not about me, I mean, ask yourself. Am I quick to judge? Is my default assumption negative towards other people? And if you're not sure, ask your spouse or a close friend. Is my default position a negative assumption about others? Do I cause disunity through my assumptions? Father, give us wisdom. Jesus, fill us with love so that we can be a person that that builds unity and grace and trust in all our relationships. Let's rise for our benediction this morning. Before we go, just a reminder, we have a retiring offering. That means as you leave the building, or as you leave this room, at each of the doors there'll be an usher, and you are free to donate any 
finances, any money to the Gideons International. If you're writing a check, do not make it out to Berean. Just make it out to Gideons. If you want to do it later, there's ways to do it later too in your bulletin. Also, I need to give you a warning. We just did 2 Samuel 10. Most of you know that right after 2 Samuel 10 is 2 Samuel 11. And 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is about David's adultery. And then 2 Samuel 13 is about a rape that happens in David's household. And we are not going to avoid those chapters. So I'm just kind of giving you a heads up that the next two weeks are going to be confronting sexual sin. Just want you to know that. I know some of you bring your kids in and things like that. I'm, it's not going to be R-rated or anything like that, but it is going to be a sensitive topic. April is Sexual Violence Awareness Month. I didn't know that until I stopped by the library. So it's just curious that God put 2 Samuel 11 through 13 right at the end of Sexual Violence Awareness Month. And we'll be talking about how do we confront sexual sin. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that that's coming up next week and the week after. Luckily, we don't have to talk about it at, oh, yeah, we don't talk about it on Mother's Day. So that's, that's good. That's good. All right. And now for your benediction. May the omnipotent, omniscient God of love fill you with his spirit so that you learn and listen and love to build unity in all your relationships for your everlasting blessedness and his eternal glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.